You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Today and over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about something very beautiful, I believe, that can help each and every one of us. In the overall series, I've titled it The Generosity of Jesus. The Generosity of Jesus. The main scripture that I want to focus on over the next couple of weeks is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And you've probably heard this scripture before, especially if you've been here. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. For God loves a cheerful giver. I want to talk about generosity. I want to talk about giving. But I'm going to do my darndest, that's even a right word, to not mention or talk about money at all in this. I want to help you become more generous. I want to help you tap into giving by showing you the generosity of Jesus. Because it says in the scriptures that we're looking at that God loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful in the original text, in the, the, the Greek is H-I-L-A-R-O-S, hilarious. It's where we get our word hilarious. It means merry, hilarious, joyous. But the, 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 the definition that I love the most when it says God loves a cheerful giver, the definition for cheerful means prompt to do anything. God loves someone who is prompted to do anything at any time. And God doesn't do anything that he hasn't already done himself. You see, I believe, and as we'll look through the scriptures, that generosity, if we think of generosity as a tree, if we think of generosity as that big, beautiful tree that's sitting out there right now, that that. The, the seed or the root system or the beginning part of generosity to grow into a beautiful tree starts in the heart of God. Generosity is founded and starts in the heart of God. It doesn't start in humanity. Generosity isn't something that is birthed or grown in humans. It's not something that we just know how to teach. So if we're going to learn about generosity, then we have to learn about it through God. It is not, it is not brought about or learned through humanity and being born. If I'm being honest, humans are not generous people for the most part. We are a selfish person. I can prove that to you. Whenever my son and my daughter were born... And they brought them into this world. I say they, my wife, brought our children into this world. And the nurse is holding the baby and goes to the little thing and is suctioning all the stuff. And, and it's, it's the baby's first guttering noises. It's not, is mom okay? Now, I don't speak baby. There wasn't translations in the delivery room Whenever the children were screaming, 
They weren't trying to be generous when they were coming out of the womb. My wife, and if your wife has had children as well, there was probably some screaming, not from joy from the woman, but probably from some anger. And what I hear, there's a little bit of pain involved in that process. Because the humans... We're not generous. We aren't concerned about the other person. As Patrick and Michaela are finding out right now, babies that are a couple of weeks and a couple of months old, they are not generous in saying, you know what, mom and dad, we're going to let you sleep a couple hours today. Tonight's going to be the night where we're going to let you sleep eight hours. Now, they're not giving time to the, we have an eight-year-old, we have a three-year-old who's about to be four, and we have to teach our children to share. They don't say, let me give this to you. They say, give me. Every Sunday, I love you all, but my daughter is given and takes about 15 donuts <laughs> every Sunday. She is not generous. She is not taking those donuts to bring them and disperse them to you all. She is taking them and she is eating them all when we're not looking. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them to be generous. For those who have teenagers, we have to teach them that the world doesn't revolve around them. It's not all about you. It's why we should take our kids on mission trips. It's why we should, we should go out and, and serve those who are less fortunate to, to show these teenagers about giving. It's not about you. Because throughout our life, we as humans, we have to learn to be givers. We have to learn to be generous. Now you as adults are thinking, well, I'm so generous and I'm so giving. Well, now let's talk about your marriage. How generous are you? How giving are you when it comes to your spouse? And your spouse says, I need you to do this more. Or I need you to do this less. I need you to, to be more involved in this aspect. If we're being honest in some aspect, even death, when we die, we're not generous about it. That we see throughout our stages of life that, that we are not generous people. We are not giving people. We are prideful. We want it all. My kids, Jim and Karen got an uh, Amazon wish list Christmas magazine this week, and our kids got a hold of it, and they haven't let it out of their grasp. As they, they were going and, and circling, you know, circle some of the things, one or two things that you want for Christmas. You can't even see the toys because the entire thing is circled. And my youngest daughter, whose birthday is in a couple of weeks, she wants, she's already asking for stuff for Christmas. She's asking for stuff for her birthday. She's like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And if you remember, in the great Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, Baruch Assault sings this song. I want it now. I want it now. I don't want to wait. I want it now. I don't want to give it away. We as humans 
It's not something that's just birthed inside of us to be generous, birthed inside of us to be givers, but it was birthed inside the heart of God. And the closer we get to his heart, the more we learn and the more we obtain, the more we understand how to be generous and how to be givers. Our view of giving and generosity must be seen through the Lord. We must have a theology for giving. Theo being Godology, study of, study of God. So in order for us to learn about giving, in order for us to be more a generous person, then we have to study God to see how he gave so that we can be generous as well. Since giving, I believe, is a learned process, our perspective of giving should be seen through God via the scriptures. We've got we've to build a little bit of, of background before we can dive fully into the generosity of Jesus over the next couple of weeks. So, so I'm going to build a couple of things and show you some things through the scriptures to get us there, and then we'll, we'll dive in over the next couple of weeks. So, so if I want to learn how to be more generous, if I want to learn how to give, then I've got to study how God did it. And how God shows it. Now, God is not a visible God. So it's hard for me to watch someone who's invisible. For the most part, God is not an audible God. Not somewhere that we can go and and, and listen to him talking out loud. I wish he did. I'd sit on the front row and be quiet. If we could go somewhere and hear God talk audibly or see God physically. But since we can't see him physically, we can't hear him all the time. Hopefully one day before heaven, you can hear the audible voice of God. It's also kind of scary at the same time. We have the word of God that we can read and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us who speaks to us in a still, quiet voice. So in order for us to learn about how God is a giver, we have to see it through the scriptures, and how we can see giving, we can be seen through Jesus. We can connect through the scriptures that show us that God the Father and God the, God the Son are one in the same. So we're going to, to look at the generosity of Jesus, but we started with talking about how giving is in the heart of God. So if we're going to look at at the generosity of Jesus, we've got to connect that God and Jesus are the same. God and Jesus are one. You see, that's what's different than all other religions. All the religions, for the most part, believe that Jesus was a good guy. Some believe that Jesus was a prophet. Some believe that Jesus even hung on a cross and did miracles, But what the rubber meets the road is a lot of religions don't believe that Jesus is God. And we, as Christians, it's kind of a make or break thing. It's kind of a big deal. So if you are going to subscribe to this Christianity, if you're going to believe in Christianity, if you're going to believe in the Word of God, then you have to believe that Jesus is is God. Yes, he is the son of God. He is his own person, but he is also the triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so if, if, if the heart of giving is found in God, then it can also be found in Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, 
Paul is writing to the Gentile church, he being capitalized, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. If Jesus walks up to a mirror and looks in the mirror, he sees God. If God walks up to the mirror, he sees Jesus. If I could take God and, and make a copy of him in the printer in that middle room, Jesus is coming out on the other side of it. He is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the writer of Hebrews kind of echoes the same sentiment that Paul said, who, talking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Jesus says when he's here on earth in the Gospels, he says, I am the light. He says that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. And where he is shining, where he is brightest, it says in John 1, that, that where the light is, darkness can't comprehend it. It can't overcome it. The brightness of God. The brightness of the glory of God. And verse 3 continues on and says, And the express image of his person. And God upholds all things by the word of his power. And look at this part of the scripture. When he had, look at this, is that a preposition? By, where's my teachers? By himself purged our sins. Jesus didn't need the help of other angels. Jesus didn't need the help of his disciples. Jesus didn't need the help of, of the Roman centurions. And Jesus doesn't need your help, doesn't need a pastor's help or a priest's help to purge you of your sins. It says Jesus by himself purged you, removed, removed the penalty of guilt of sin off of you all by himself. And after he got done taking care of all of your sin, it says in verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the majesty on high, propped his feet up, turned on the game, said, bring in the snacks. I'm going to take a break. Took care of it. Purged it by himself. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. I love how Jesus, throughout the Gospels, talks to different people. We'll look in John 3 a little bit, in a little bit, that how Jesus talks to a Pharisee when he's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking about Moses, and he's talking about being born again, and he's talking about the Spirit, and he's talking about the wind. All these high-level, intense things. He's having this deep conversation with this, with this uh, person who knows the Scriptures, it's believed that the Pharisees had to memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, understand it, know all the laws, know all these things. And so when Jesus comes and talks to him, he has this deep conversation with him. But one chapter over in John chapter 4, he's standing at the well with this woman who's been ostracized from the community. And he's just having this simple conversation with her at the well, talking just our surroundings. Oh, you're here for water? Well, I have water, and it'll never make you thirsty again. And she kind of starts talking, and she, she says, well, I know the Messiah is coming, and he's going to do all that. And Jesus is so simple and so cute with her. And he says, I am he. You're talking about the Messiah? Hey, 
I'm just going to go ahead and, and put it out there. I'm the one that everybody's been talking about. I'm he. But what's interesting is how he talks to people. How he has these different conversations, these different relationships. And he's three years in with talking with his disciples, having conversations with them, talking with them, miracle signs and wonders, casting out demons, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, doing all these things. And he's been with these guys for three years. And he's about to go to the cross. And Philip, one of his disciples, says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus, who hopefully the Holy Spirit, as you've grown in your walk with God, have had one of these conversations. Look at the next verse. And Jesus said with you, he can, he's sarcastic, he's a bit annoyed. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? Jesus said his name. Uh-oh. When mama says your name, you're in trouble. He gets his attention. Look at this. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You can see Jesus in this conversation with this person who has been with him, who's had relationship with him. It said that the disciples went out and they were anointed to lay hands on the sick and cast out demons. And miracles showed up in their hands as they were going on this journey for three years. And Philip is asking this crazy question, just show us the Father and we'll believe you. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How can you say, look at the next verse, verse 10. Jesus is going on a little rant here. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. In verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or look, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves, Philip. After you've been in a relationship, you remember the honeymoon phase with your spouse? Everything they did was cute. You kissed and you snuggled all the time. And then as you get older, as you get a couple more years in, some of those cute things, they're still cute. They're still cute. And then they're still, <laughs> you still love them. I know, I know. <laughs> I walked away from her too, because I don't want to have that conversation. <laughs> but Jesus, the Holy Spirit, can have some conversations with us as we get older in the faith. Because sometimes we pray or we say some crazy things to God. Where were you, God? What are you doing? Don't you love me? Don't you care? Don't you believe me? Where are you at, God? We've prayed those prayers before. Remember when Job... Job's going through everything, and he says, I need, to have, uh, uh, I need to be in court with God. I need to have a conversation with God. And then God showed up. He said, oh, I heard you want to talk to me. Let's talk. Were you there when I created the oceans and the universe? Were you there when the animals? And he's like, okay, well, hold on. Okay, God, let's, <laughs> let's back it up a little bit. But I love the conversations that we can have with God. He's still loving. He's still encouraging. He says, believe me. So we see in the scriptures, just in these handful of scriptures, there's more that's out there, how God and Jesus, they're the same. The express image, 
They're the, the, the exact same. So if the, the generosity is in God's heart, the generosity is in Jesus' heart, which is why we're going to talk about the generosity of Jesus. So what does giving look like to God? I believe, and as I see in the scriptures, that God gave everything. He gave everything. He gave us his son and he gave us his spirit freely. In John 3, 16, we know this scripture, for God so loved. We talked about this during communion. For God so loved that he gave. So what is the motive of God's giving? It's love. And what should our generosity and our giving should be completely wrapped in is one, love for the Father, but also love for whoever we're giving to. For God so loved, he gave. He didn't give his worst gift. He didn't give his last gift. He gave his one and only gift. He gave his best gift. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If we go back a couple of scriptures in verse 14, as he's talking to Nicodemus, as he's talking to a Pharisee, he equates to what he's about to do. He's equating to what God so loved as to something that happened in the Pentateuch, something that happened with Moses in John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then it goes into, for God so loved the world that he gave. But he's explaining to this Pharisee, he's explaining to this, this uh, Bible teacher, in Numbers 21, there is a story. You can read in Numbers 21 that the Canaanites attacked the Israelites. This is not something new that happened just the other day. People have been attacking the Israelites for years and years and years, and they cried out to God, and God delivered them from the Canaanites, utterly destroyed the Canaanites, is what Numbers 21 says. And then it says that after this battle had happened, they're leaving, and they start complaining to God that they're tired, they're weary, you took us out of Egypt to die, and he said, we're tired, the, the Israelites were complaining to Moses that they were tired of eating the bread. Now remember, the bread is manna from heaven, not bread from Shumpert's, or bread from IGA, or even bread that's homemade. This is literal bread from heaven that God is sending down to them, and they're complaining about it. God got mad. And it says that he sent fiery serpents among the camp, and it started biting the people and killing them, the ones that were complaining. Aren't you thankful we're on the other side of the cross? Thank you, God, that we are on the other side of the cross. And the people came to Moses and they said, we've sinned against you. You think? What gave that away? And they said, please rescue us from these snakes. So God, Moses goes to God and says, God, they are sorry. Please save your people. And he says, make a bronze fiery serpent, put it on a pole and bring it out in the middle of the camp. And it says, everyone who lays eyes upon that snake will instantly be healed. And he is comparing, Jesus is comparing as he's talking to the Pharisee, what happened right there is how much God loves that anyone who looks on the man who is hung up on the tree will be instantly saved. Everyone that was bitten by the snake, let me be honest, we've all been bitten by the snake. 
We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all born with a sin nature. We all have sin inside of us. But it says if you believe and look on the one that hangs on the tree, then you won't perish. You'll have everlasting life. God so loved that he gave. And what he gave was his best gift. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Paul writes, but God demonstrates his love, his own love, toward who? Toward you and toward me. That while we were still sinners, we weren't in church, we weren't looking for God, we weren't trying to find him, we weren't reading the Bible, we, weren't, we were still sinners, we were still running from him, we were still enemies, we were still all of these things. He gave his son to die for us. Now that word demonstrates also is the word shows, but God shows his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Back when I was in high school and some in college when Texas Hold'em was the big craze and taking over ESPN and everything and we were playing poker and all kind of my friends' back rooms and uh, we were too scared to go to the casinos um, but we would, we would play for money in, in the back rooms. And, and there's something interesting about poker is you don't ever have to show your hand. It's not required for you to show your hand except for one time. At any point in time when you're playing poker, I can fold my hand and not show it. I could think I have the best hand. I could be bluffing. I could be lying. But the only time that it is required for you to show your hand in poker is when you have the winning hand. God demonstrates or shows his love. While we still had our cards to our chest, while we were still lying, while we were still cheating, while we were still trying to bluff our way through life and talk about how good we were and how our good works are going to make God happy and all that. No, no, none of that would have won the hand. But while we were still holding those so close to the chest, God demonstrates and lays down his hand. And he says, the only plan that I have is my love for you. And that's like Christ dying for your sins. He shows his hand and it's the winning hand. It's the only hand. It's the only hand that God has to play. And it's the first hand that he lays down. God demonstrates. He shows his love toward us. Romans 8.32, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him or gave him up for us all, that's you and me, how shall he not with Jesus also freely give us all things? My pastor says this all the time, and I've taken it on. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. That's what the scripture says. I'll break it down into Jeremiah terminology. If he'll give you Jesus, he'll give you anything. We can take that word freely and bring it up in the scripture. He who did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. If he's going to freely give you all these things, that means he freely gave you Jesus first. If he's going to give you everything else free, then that means he had to give you Jesus free first. How does God share his love with us? By giving himself to us. God started by giving us 
his best gift in giving it freely, his most prized possession. This is how God starts the relationship. During Christmas time or during uh, birthdays with our kids, we keep the best present for last, right? You want them to open their socks and their underwear and, and, and their Play-Doh or, you know, the cards, their new set of pajamas. You want them to open those first. I don't bring out the Lego set. I don't bring out the bike. I don't bring out the video game or, or the, the little pony or the car. I don't bring out the big gift first. I, me, as a human, I want to hold it back. Because in all reality, we are generous, but we also kind of want that affirmation. Oh, I guess there's nothing left. There's nothing. Oh, oh, daddy got you something. You've got to bring it in on the wheelbarrow. It's so big. Open it up and see what daddy got you. How generous your parents are. And mom. Mom got it too. <laughs> she got you the underwear. But daddy, he got you the best of the best. Even we, in, in birthdays and all that, we, we wait till the very last thing. But God demonstrates, he shows his love by giving us the best gift, the first gift, the only gift, the best one that he has is his one and only son. So you see, we, we had to establish through this journey that number one, God and Jesus are the same. We see that in the scriptures. If we're going to learn about generosity, if we're going to learn about giving, then we have to look at it through the scriptures. So how we look about it through the scriptures is yes, if, if generosity is in the heart of God and God and Jesus are the same, then that means that same heart is in Jesus and it's in the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's in me, then that means the generosity is also inside me. That God is Jesus, Jesus is God, that God's heart is giving, and that what he gave, what God gave to us was Jesus. So we're just going to look at one thing, and I'll finish with this. What did Jesus give? We see that God gave his son, but now we're going to look at what Jesus did over the next couple of weeks. Let's look at the generosity of Jesus. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. We're just going to look at the first Three words. Who gave himself. The first thing that we see in this long line, I've probably got about ten things that we'll, we'll talk over the next couple of weeks. The generosity of Jesus. Number one, he gave himself. He gave himself. Freely gave himself. Yes, God offered Jesus. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. But it says here, he gave himself. How valuable is a person? It's funny as you're, you're doing some studies and you have these harebrained ideas, you can, you can find yourself going down some weird rabbit holes on Google. Supposedly, according to Google, the most expensive organ in your body is your heart. Supposedly, a heart is going for a million dollars. You can sell your heart today for a million dollars. Now, you might not be able to enjoy it after that, but you can sell it for a million dollars. A liver, a liver is going for about 500000 is what they say is the cost of. One of your kidneys, around 300000 They said a stomach was like $500. I thought, that's, that's kind of sad. An eyeball is about $1,500, $2,000. 
How valuable is a person? Is the question that I was asking. Now, I was trying to figure out how to pay for this birthday and these Christmas gifts and that Amazon catalog. Like, well, I could sell my heart, maybe half of it. How valuable is a person? What makes a person valuable? Is it money? Is, is money what defines a person being valuable? Currently, Elon Musk is the most richest man on the planet right now. Probably richest man in the history of the world. Estimated at 256 billion, billion with a B, dollars right now. Is how much he is estimated to be worth. That's pretty valuable. But is that the value of a person? Is power, how much power a person have? Is that what makes them valuable? They say the most important position in the world is being the president of the United States of America. The most powerful position in the world. Is that what makes a person valuable? What about fame? Does fame make a person valuable? Right now, let's say the, the, the most famous sports star, whoever that is that comes to mind, the most famous actor, Tom Cruise, The Rock. The most famous musician. Apparently, Taylor Swift is a big deal right now. The most famous people on the planet where they could go anywhere and be recognized. Is that what makes a person valuable? Is it whoever has the most social media followers on social media? Christian Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, has 880 million total followers in all of social media. He puts out one tweet, he puts one thing on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, then 880 million people see what he is writing, what he's promoting. Hey, buy my t-shirt. 880 million people. Is that what makes somebody valuable? My question is, Jesus gave himself. What is the value of Jesus? How valuable is Jesus that he gave himself for each and every one of us? John chapter 10, verse 18. I've got two scriptures and then I'm done. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus is speaking and he says, No one talking about his life, takes it from me. He's like Texas, come and take it. But I lay it down of myself. Look at this. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command he received from nobody else but his father. So God, being generous, says, I want to give my son to humanity to save them. And then Jesus had to say, yes, sir, I willingly give myself to those people. I give myself to humanity. And the command that God gave is you have the power to say yes, you have the power to say no, you have the power to lay it down, and you have the power to pick it back up again. Jesus, knowing he was on the cross, says, I have the power to lay my life down. But God has already given me the power to pick my life back up. That's why he was walking around, strutting throughout 
the world saying, I'm coming back in three days. You can kill me, but I'm coming back in three days. I'm going to rise from the dead in three days. And the disciples are like, what is he talking about? I don't understand that. He said, they are going to kill me and put me in a tomb. And in three days, I'm coming back because God has given me the power to lay it down and to pick it back up again. He gave himself. The last scripture I have, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, verse 6 says, thought, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal. Once again, we see the same connection again, God and Jesus being the same, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a king, taking on the form of a president, taking on the form of somebody powerful, of somebody famous. He could have taken on the form of anything that he wanted, but what he chose to do and give was to take on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Verse 8, And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. And look at this, he became obedient. He became so obedient even to the point of death. He became so obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. And because God gave Jesus and Jesus gave himself, God says, I'm going to honor my son for the price and the penalty that he paid for humanity. In verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted Jesus. And because Jesus gave himself, God says, I'm going to honor my son and give him the name which is above every name. And at that name, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, God says, I'm going to give Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll give myself. And then God says, because you gave yourself, I'm going to give you a name that is above every name, that is exalted. And then Jesus turns around with that authority of what God gave him, the power in his name, and he gave it back to humanity. And he says, use my name to cast out devils. Use my name to heal the sick. Use my name to be saved. Use my name. He could have kept that name. It's my name. I'm keeping it. You don't get to say it. You don't get to use it. But then he turned around and he gave that name to each and every one of us. We'll stop right there. We'll talk Galatians chapter 1 verse 4. It says, who gave himself for our sins. Next week we'll talk about the generosity of Jesus, how he gave himself for our sins. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm going to enjoy the sermon series. It's been fun studying already, and hopefully you'll enjoy it as well, and we'll see you all next week. Let's stand up as we get ready to go, and let me pray you out in victory. Amen. Father, we thank you that you're a giver. We thank you that all aspects of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are generous, are givers. And Father, I thank you that as we study and as we learn you being a generous God, talking about the generosity of Jesus and even talking about the Holy Spirit being a giver over these next couple of weeks, Father, that it'll birth something inside of us as we get closer to the heart of God, that our heart will be more generous and be more giving in our life and in our attitude. Father, I thank you for the people here. I thank you that they're blessed and highly favored. 
not according to their works or what they've done, but because they simply are your sons and daughters, because your word says that they are the victor, no longer the victim. Father, I thank you that they are no longer sinners, but they are righteous. Father, I thank you that they are no longer sick, but they are healed. They are no longer cursed. They are blessed because of believing in what Jesus did. Father, I thank you they have the mind of Christ. I thank you that their body is the temple of the Most High God, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. And every tongue that rises against them, even their own tongue, we condemn it now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that by Jesus' stripes they are healed and whole. Father, I thank you for victory everywhere they go. Father, I thank you that everything they put their hands to prospers, and I thank you that the favor of God surrounds them like a shield. I thank you for Psalm 91 protection over their mind, over their body, over their household, over their marriage, over their kids, over their job, over everything that they believe, that your angels will protect them and keep them safe. And Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth. We are a city set on a hill. Everywhere we go, it says that we diffuse the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ, and we release that into the atmosphere. We are atmosphere changers. We are room changers. We are miracle signs and workers for your glory, Father. So use us this week to speak this message to someone. Let us have the heart of generosity this week and bring them back safely. Now, Father, bless them, protect them. And bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Women, we'll see y'all on Thursday. And we're going to go put up an ark here in a second. God bless. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.